This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Good evening, Christian Family Church. How are we all doing tonight? This by Amway, it's good to be here with you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. For those that are online as well, thank you for tuning in and uh, enjoying the Word of God together with us tonight. I thank Apostle Theo and, and Pastor Bev for the privilege that they give me to share the Word with you, to break bread as the Bible puts it. And so we know that the Word of God is the bread of life. Do you agree with that? As we eat on the Word, and, and tonight is the last um, portion or part of the series that we've been doing on the Beatitudes. So let us call tonight the Last Supper. Shall we, as we feast on the Beatitudes, um, I asked this morning how many of you used to call it Beatitudes, and I actually didn't see too many hands going up, or I didn't get a really good reaction, so then I felt very much alone, because I think I'm the only person that used to see it that way. But I found another really nice way to put the uh, the Beatitudes is to call it the beautiful attitudes. The beautiful attitudes. Isn't that a nice way to explain it? And that really is what God was is trying to uh, give us, is He wants to teach us. And that's why Jesus put this in His Sermon of the Mount. He started by laying this foundation and talking about starting things. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. Thank you that we can gather together as Christians. Father, as we, we deal with the subject of persecution, Lord, we understand that there are people in this world that cannot gather as easily as we do. In fact, Father, they risk their lives to do what we do so easily. So we thank you, Father, for just reminding us on that and thank you for your powerful word. Thank you, Spirit of God, for planting these seeds of beatitudes deep in our hearts and allow them to just produce beautiful fruit for years to come, as we surrender ourselves to your word tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. It's true, you know, people get persecuted just for gathering as easily as what we do. So there are the eight Beatitudes. We've dealt with the first seven. We go on to the eighth one. And the interesting thing about the eighth Beatitude is that it couldn't be possible unless there were the first seven. Without the first seven, we couldn't, or the eighth one could not be there. And the reason is because in, if we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, talking about this eighth beatitude, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So in other words, to live out the first seven is us living out righteousness, doing what God requires. And by doing that, Jesus said that we would be persecuted for living the way that he desires for us to live, for taking his teaching seriously, for implementing the, uh, the principles that he gives us in his word. So by doing those first seven, we automatically will experience Beatitude number eight. There's some things that I believe God wants to share with us tonight concerning the eighth beatitude, that being the one of persecution. The word persecution or to be persecuted, let me say this, there's nothing cute about persecute. 
It's not something we enjoy, right? We don't run after opportunities to be persecuted. It's something that we would rather avoid. And I'm grateful that my life is not at risk because of my Christianity. I believe God will grant us a grace if we were ever in that kind of position to stand our ground as we're going to see tonight. But the Bible tells us that we will be persecuted. It's something that we can expect to happen as children of God. There are various grades and levels that that persecution comes. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a life or wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you want to live a life in Christ Jesus, Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted. Here's another scripture talking about persecution, but this just ups it a whole bunch of notches. Listen to uh, Matthew 24, verses 9. It says, Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. A little bit more serious than maybe being rejected or, or being kicked out of a close circle because of our faith. Be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. I have the sense that in the world right now, Christians are sort of facing that hatred more and more as we see the kind of culture that the world or the enemy is trying to force into the world at the moment. The more we make a stand against that, the more I think that will ring true for us. But it is a pretty heavy scripture to take in, isn't it? We'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Now, some might say, look, this scripture is not really a part of my Christianity. And yes, it may not be. But we just need to accept and realize that persecution is very real in this world today. I'm talking about that kind of level of persecution. It exists today. So let's learn how to deal with persecution God's way. I mean, it was in the prison of persecution that the greatest praise began to rise up and chains began to fall. It was in the pit of persecution that the future prime minister was being prepared. And you know that I'm talking about Joseph. It was in those persecution states that God moved mightily. And so we can take comfort in this, that God will take persecution and he will use it for his glory. And if you are facing persecution, whatever uh, way that might come, just know that God will use it for his glory, for the history of that has been proven. God uses it for his glory. And so I want to turn tonight to a story in the Bible. And you know, when it comes to persecution, there are many that one could speak about in the Bible to highlight this part of our walk of faith. But this particular story or this particular book that I want to focus on is in the book of Daniel. And the reason why is because Daniel paints a picture that has so much relevance to our lives today. I mean, there is an infiltration of a culture. It's a Babylonian culture, but it comes into them, into their realm or into their lives. It comes into their places of worship. It comes into their homes and it comes in a very heavy way. And all around us, culture is trying to infiltrate just like it did in the book of Daniel. How many of you would agree with me that there is a culture that is really pressing its agenda in the world today? And and so the culture around you does not need to be greater 
than the kingdom inside of you. It may be uh, come in like a tsunami, but it doesn't have to be greater than the kingdom within you. And so this Babylonian king took young, brilliant-minded people who were part of God's family, and he brought them into his own kingdom. Just like we may be experiencing today that there is this culture that wants to overwhelm the kingdom of God. And I'm not even referring to uh, the COVID restrictions and all that sort of thing that we have experienced and have had to deal with. I'm talking about a whole bunch of other things, ways of living and, and acceptance of, of certain lifestyles and that sort of thing. I was just like flooded on my Twitter. That's every second or third tweet I see has to do with that. And I'm just looking at the news. I'm not even following popular people. Anyhow, so what this king did, this culture wasn't just about pushing their agenda. They went so far that they began to rename people. And so uh, I don't know if you recognize these names, but Hananiah, Michael, and Ezra. Does anybody know those names? These were the names given to these Christian boys or these, these Jewish boys, and they had great meanings like God is gracious and who is like our God and God helps us. And the Babylonians changed their names to some names that we're more familiar with, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Talk about trying to push your way. And, and so the names were changed. And Shadrach, for example, means moon God. So his name went from God is gracious to moon God. That's pretty severe stuff. The world may try to take our name, but they cannot take our nature. How many of you would say amen to that? And so these three young boys decided to do what we've been studying over these last number of weeks. They were living a righteous life. And God sustained them through this. He was with them and he kept them and he blessed them. They made a stand and they were persecuted for it. When you make a stand, you will be persecuted for it. But God will be there for you. So let me just share with you three ways that persecution works so that we can recognize it and know how to deal with it the way that God would like us to. The first thing that persecution does it is, is it tries to steal your voice. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 10, it says, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. So he will try to steal your voice. And so let's look at Daniel chapter three, verses eight. Let me go through this and highlight a couple of things with regards to the subject of persecution. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. They were sucking up to the king. It's so typical, this culture, they're so fickle. They'll try to get close to who they think has power for their own personal gain. But family of God, we know that there is only one that has all power. And it is he that we want to draw close to. Amen. So they say, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn and the flute and, and a couple of other instruments, they said, when these noises play, then you have to bow down and worship the gold idol that they had fashioned. And so they said to the king, whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. And they say, but there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. And 
And so what was happening here, these were accusations that were coming against these men that were living a life that was righteous. We shouldn't be shocked when accusations come against us when we are living a righteous life. It shouldn't take us by surprise. We shouldn't be shocked when peer pressure tries to stop us from doing what we've committed to doing, what we've said we're going to do. We shouldn't be shocked when they want to come against us. Or as I said, peer pressure wants to say, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Or, oh, yeah, are you, oh come on, you're coming with this, uh, you know, this faith stuff and this Christian stuff or whatever. However, they may try to, to discourage us or derail us. We shouldn't be shocked at that. It's not nice to experience though, hey. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of God that you have set up. And so it goes on to tell us how furious the king was, Nebuchadnezzar was. He summons these three boys and he said to them, is it true that when we say these sounds play, you have to bow down and worship the God that we have set before you, that you're not doing that? If you are doing it, that's great. But if you're not doing it, then I am going to. I mean, it's gonna cost you your life. I'm gonna cost you, throw you into the fiery furnace. And so this is how they respond. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then God, the God who we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand as well. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. What these guys were doing is they made a stand. They held their ground and they believed God. And that's what we're called to do. When, when a, a persecution tries to steal our voice, it's in that time that we should let persecution deepen our conviction. We shouldn't buckle or bend. No matter, even if, I mean, their lives were at risk. That's pretty, I've never been in that kind of situation. I can tell you that much. But their lives are at risk, but they the conviction was so deepened and strengthened that they said, no, we're not going to change. We're not bowing to your rules. We serve the one and only God and he will deliver us. And if persecution can't steal your voice, then it will try to steal your spirit. In verse 19, it says, And Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. His attitude towards them changed. There is an attitude shift that will happen towards the things of God when we stand our ground. And he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more. You know what that tells me about persecution? Persecution shows how desperate the enemy is. Why would he need to make it seven times hotter? A furnace is a furnace. You burn us in a furnace. I mean, you're not going to survive a furnace. But it was in a ridiculous request. Just shows the desperation. Not only that, but he said, bring me the strongest men that I have and tie up these young boys. So that when we throw them into this furnace of furnaces, that they're not going to be able to break free. It just is kind of ridiculous. It's over the top, but it's a, it's a, it's a, a demonstration of the, de of the desperation that the enemy has to persecute us. But they stood their ground. In fact, you know what we should do? We should let persecution increase our awareness of divine protection. I'm not saying go out and look for it, but I'm saying when it comes, let it increase your expectation and your awareness of God's divine protection. Daniel 3, 21. So these men 
wearing their robes and their trousers and their turbans and all of their clothes, were bound and they were thrown into this hectic furnace. The king's command, the Bible tells us, was so urgent that the big strong men that tied them up and threw them in, even they were consumed by this furnace. And these men, and Shadrach and his two friends were firmly tied, the Bible says, and they were thrown into this furnace. And then it goes, it tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And these wise men replied, certainly your majesty. And he said, well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth one looks like the son of God. Be aware of God's divine protection. You know, the thing about fire is that it does burn stuff. It is something to be concerned about. It does burn things. But the other thing that fire does is it refines things. And so, uh, you know, the burning is, is hectic, but the refining, what happens is when we are refined, we are made better. That's what refining is, is to be made better. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the royal advisors crowded around them. They were amazed. I mean, this was a makulu, malingi, mafutu, wena miracle. Okay, this was huge. So if, 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 um, if persecution can't steal your voice and it can't steal your spirit, it's going to try to destroy your legacy. The purpose of this fire was to kill them. There was no other reason. It was not a scare tactic. They weren't going to be thrown in just for 30 seconds and then pulled out so that they would learn their lesson. The purpose was the furnace was there because they were to lose their lives. And that's the thing. Your legacy, the enemy does not want you to, does not want what you endure to make someone else stronger. It will try to steal your legacy. But we need to let persecution lead to promotion. In fact, let it turn out even better than what the enemy was hoping. In a place where persecution was supposed to bring destruction, what did it do? It brought promotion. Thank you very much. Verse 27, they saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. That you couldn't even tell that they'd been near a fire. That's the delivering power of God. And then what happens in verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. When we stand our ground, when we choose not to bow to the culture of this world, to what the world is trying to force its agenda across, obviously the enemy is using the world to do that, right? When we stand firm, we stand our ground and believe God, deliverance is there. God is with us. We're, we're aware of his divine protection. And not only that, some of promotion while he's at it. Talk about turning the tables. That's the way that God wants us to act or respond when persecution comes. All this talk about fire. Amen. How many of you say, you know what? I'm a strong stander. I stand strong. And you know what? When they come with their uh, persecutions, it's going to cause me to be even, to have an even deeper conviction. Conviction. But you know, there's a second part to this particular beatitude. In fact, some biblical scholars believe that there are only eight beatitudes. Persecution being the eighth one. 
but one could argue that there are in fact nine. The last two both start with blessed are the persecuted. Therefore, they feel that the, they could bundle them together as one. But both are a form of persecution that require a different response. So we've looked at blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The premise of what we saw is that culture is shifting and we have to learn to stand firm, to hold our ground and to believe God, not to be moved, not to compromise. But Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter five, verses 11, and he says this, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So this is like the second part to this eighth slash ninth beatitude. He's saying, blessed are you when people speak against you, when they, say, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad, is what he's saying. In other words, God needs us to have a different type of attitude towards those kind of scenarios. And Jesus said, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's where we get stretched. As far as the way that God desires for us to respond when people as much as just speak against us or say false, false things against us. We've learned that we should stand firm. And as a church, we, we cannot bow to the culture of this world. But it is possible to stand firm and to love well too at the same time. In other words, to have influence while we stand our ground. And this is what made Daniel so amazing because he could do that. He did that. Daniel was also, uh, you know, forced with a, a culture that said, you're not allowed to pray. We know his story. And he stood his ground. He said, no, I'm not bowing to the way you want to do things. But he loved well too. And he, and he was influential at the same time. And he managed to change things in Babylon. And God, I believe, calls us to do the same. He wants us to respond in a different way. Say that. I need to respond in a different way. So really what this is, it's a call to a deeper place or a deeper maturity, as you, if you will, in Jesus. And we're gonna have some pushback, we're gonna have resistance, and we won't necessarily want to go there, but God is actually calling us to it. In other words, he's calling us to respond in a different way. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 10. He says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is saying is that when I'm weak and I go through these difficult experiences, then I am made strong. The Beatitudes is the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. We've heard that being said as we've gone through the series. But do you know what the next line is that Jesus speaks after he has laid the foundation of these beautiful attitudes that he desires for us to have? The very next thing he says is this, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, he's saying you can go and make things taste better, but you can't make things taste better until you embrace these qualities. Yo, this stretches me, folks. 
Yeah, this stretches me. He goes on and says, you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good deeds, in other words, the way that we respond, when we respond the way that Jesus calls us to respond, it will cause the world to glorify God. It'll cause people to get saved just because of the way that we choose to respond. This is the influential side. Yes, we need to stand firm. We're not going to bow. We're not going to follow other gods. But God is calling us to a different response to hatred, to persecution, and to false accusations. We have to respond in a different way. Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 says, then many will be offended. Listen to the scripture, it's quite enlightening. Then many will be offended. That word many, if you look it up in the Greek, actually and sadly means the majority. So this is how people are going to respond. Jesus is telling us, they will be offended. They will betray one another and they will hate one another. But God is saying, I want you to work, operate in a different way. We don't want to be like the majority, amen? Say that. I don't want to be like the majority. In, in Luke chapter 17, verses 1, Jesus said this. Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. He's saying, guys, you're not going to be able to go through this life as my disciple, as my follower, as living the way that I desire for you to live, and that offense will not come. It's impossible. Opportunity to be offended. He's not saying you should be offended. He's saying the opportunities are gonna be in abundance. So some might say, well, what's wrong with being offended if it's impossible to avoid it? Let's have a look at that. Proverbs 18, 19. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like barred gates of a citadel. It's saying that when you are offended, you close up like a, like a fortified city. You will not allow anybody else into your life. Not even God will be allowed to influence. You'll block that out through offense. Okay, it's not offense. It's more like a barred gate. But you get what I'm saying, right? That's what it does. It builds this barred gate around you. So it can have devastating consequences. So let me share with you four principles that are countercultural. In other words, you won't really want to do this in your normal self. We don't jump to do it this way around. It goes against the way that we would, as human beings, want to respond. And they are challenging. That means that you won't want to do any of these, but I can assure you they will change your life. If we choose to respond, how are we to respond to insults and accusations? Number one, we should choose to overlook the offense. It's a choice that we make to overlook the offense. Proverbs 10, 12 says, love overlooks the wrongs that others do. These are hard scriptures. Proverbs 12, 16. When a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. Wise people will ignore an insult. Yo, this one. Even Saturday was Mulekite for me. When a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. So how do we overlook the wrongs that people do? How do we do this thing that the word tells us to do? 
In, 19, in the 1980s, there was a film that uh, came out. It was called War Games, and it starred a very young Matthew Broderick, and he, he was like a computer nerd, and, and in this movie, he hacked into the military service, the U.S. military service, and he was just messing around, and, and so he thought, oh, he's going to play a game, uh, you know, a war game, and all of a sudden, the computer began to take over and began to start setting nuclear weapons to be launched. Sounds close to home, eh? But this was in the 80s. And so this game went horribly wrong and this computer became very intelligent. And so what they did, the military obviously saw, yeah, 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 our computers have been hacked and you know, launch codes are being used and these rockets are gonna go off. So what they began to do is they threw different scenarios at this computer to find out what will the outcome be if they throw all the various scenarios that could possibly happen so that they can strategize better. And every scenario they threw at the computer for example, if U.S. Uh, launched their missiles first and let's say Russia responded, uh, you know, what would the outcome be of that? Complete annihilation of the world. Scenario two, let's say Russia does it first and America counters, what will the outcome be? Annihilation. What about a third uh, mega power in the world and they started it off, what would happen? Annihilation. And so every one of these scenarios ended up in total annihilation. And when the last one played out, the computer screen went blank. And this computer spoke back to them in its very sort of voice, and it said this, the only winning move is not to play. That's how we overlook the wrongs that others do. We don't take part. Love looks past the behavior and imagines the pain. It looks past the behavior and imagines, uh, you know, why would someone be acting that way? There's gotta be a reason but that would drive them to do that. I mean, in this world that's getting so vile and so mean and so reactive, God is calling us to a different response. When someone swerves in front of you again in the traffic, and we have to use traffic because it's so real to us, and they swerve and drive like a hooligan and maybe even, you know, flash you the bird, our natural response might be to peel our own banana, but you ain't gonna peel that banana, you holster that thing. And rather what you do is you imagine, I wonder what they're going through that they're driving crazy. Maybe they've got a child lying on the back seat that's desperately ill and they rush into the hospital. We begin to try and see it that way around. It'll make it easier for us to overlook the wrongs that they do. I told you this was gonna stretch you because it's great to say it from here and it's great to preach it, but when that happens, you have to be mindful of this. The second thing is, don't, uh, excuse me, the second thing is keep my heart free from unforgiveness. We're looking at four principles that are countercultural, the, the way that Jesus wants us to respond. First one is, overlook the wrongs that others do. Second one, keep my heart free from unforgiveness. Probably the area that the world stumbles in the most. Luke chapter 11, verses four says this, Jesus teaching the disciples the Lord's prayer says, and forgive us our sins, for we have forgiven those that have sinned against us. Think about that for a moment. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus is saying, as part of our prayer is to ask God to forgive us as we forgive those that sin against us. That's God's expectation. Look at Colossians 3.13. He's a mulekian. You must make allowance for each other's fault and give the person who offends you and forgive the person who offends you. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Do you know, uh, faults, do you know what an allowance is? 
An allowance is when you give somebody money to spend later. You must be ready to forgive before they even make the mistake. I mean, the Bible tells us that Jesus, God forgave us while we were still sinners. Talk about an allowance. So we must be Uh, We must keep our heart free from unforgiveness. The third thing, we must pray, we must bless, and we must do good to them. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. In in the Old Testament, that's what it was. You take this from me, I'll take it straight back. You do this to me, I'll do it right back to you. That was what was allowed to happen. Jesus is saying, don't even resist an evil person. If he slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. How many of those beautiful attitude Christians are here right now? Come on, just turn to your neighbor, slap them in the face. Let's see what happens. No, don't do that. I see some husbands like, yes! Okay, no. And a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone, I did that when I got hardings from my dad, but it was a different kind of cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is how Jesus wants us to respond to people talking ill about us, that other second kind of persecution. Jesus is saying it's important for us as believers to respond in a different way. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, 27, but I tell you, hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This is how we are to respond. We don't curse, we bless. We don't curse, we bless. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9. Do not do wrong to repay wrong. And do not insult to repay an insult. But repay with a blessing. Because you yourselves are called to do this so that you might receive a blessing. You are called to do this. You are called to behave a different way. And the fourth one, fourth principle on how God wants us to respond to persecution. And I'm talking about a persecution that is a lot closer to home. When we are bad-mouthed or treated unfairly, remember the eternal reward. When Jesus ended the Beatitudes, you know what he said? Great is your reward in heaven. Family of God, we must not put all of our eggs into our earth basket. We need to be eternally minded. And it's so easy to get immersed into the world that we live in. It's so easy to get immersed into the circumstances that we go through. It's so easy to be so nearsighted, if I could say it like that, to forget that there is an eternity that we are working towards.
Second Corinthians chapter four, verses eight. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Paul wrote this. How could Paul write this given what this man faced? He was lashed 39 times more than once. He was imprisoned. He was beaten to within an inch of his life. Bad mouthed. All the the way the persecution could work came against him. And yet he says this. How could he say that? Because he was eternally minded. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. He's saying what we endure in the earth today, all of the unpleasant part of being alive in this world today, he's saying they, uh, they, uh, we have an eternal glory by going through that. And it far outweighs what we experience. Family of God, is your earth more important to you than your heaven? If your earth is more important to you than your heaven, then earth is going to get the better of you. He goes on to say, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen. In other words, what we have to endure but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's powerful, I mean, and we have to be eternally minded. And it's something you have to force yourself to do, folks. Jim Elliott was a missionary who in the 1950s, 1956, in Ecuador, together with some fellow missionaries, was speared to death on one of their trips. He was sold out to God and he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. We cannot keep our lives. When we give our lives to God, we will gain what we cannot lose. So I on behalf of the Lord, I'm encouraging you tonight to live out these beautiful attitudes. And we cannot do this without the help of God, of course. But when we are persecuted, when we are bad-mouthed, when we have to face those types of things, even when we are bad-mouthed indirectly, not by name, but because we are Christians, because we stand for a faith. Jesus is saying, respond in this way so that we can still be an influence even though we choose to stand firm and not bow to the culture that this world is trying to force upon us. So how can I give my life, Paul? Well, I'm not talking about the salvation experience. I'm talking about living your life here on the earth. How do I do that? We make it so possible for you to do here, right here at church. In fact, it's within the body that we get to serve. You might say, but I don't know what to do. Well, that's why we have things like the growth track where we want you to discover what your purpose is. Why has God put you here? He wants us to respond this way, right? Why has He put us here? Let us help you discover that. And then when you know, then we can put you on a pathway and put you in a position where you can make a difference and be that influence and serve others with your life. This is what Jesus wants us to do. Let's give what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose.
how many of you have been really blessed by these Beatitudes that we've been dealing with? And, and tonight, for those that, I'm gonna ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. If there are folks that are sitting here tonight and you're saying, you know what, Paul? I need to make a choice. I wanna choose to be a Beatitude Christian. I wanna be a Christian with a beautiful attitude. I wanna allow God to transform my life. I've fallen short in some areas I have. I'm standing here before you tonight to say, Saturday I fell short. But I wanna make a choice to live these beautiful attitudes and I wanna be conscious of it and I'm inviting God to transform me. If there's anybody else that's saying, you know what, I'm standing here tonight and I, I, I want you to transform me, Lord. Help me so that I can live out the way you want me to. You can just raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. This is not an altar call, but I do wanna pray for those that are saying, you know what, I surrender myself to you, Lord. Help me to live this way. Their hands going up all over the show, all over the show. Praise God. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. I wanna pray for, for those that have said, yes, Lord, I recognize that I, I need this. <laughs> I recognize that, that maybe there are some areas that I have not been so good in and maybe even not even trying. Father, I bring every person here before you tonight that has said, Lord, I make a choice. I want to be the beautiful attitude Christian that you've called me to be. Father, I thank you that you would give them the strength to live out these these uh, uh, principles that Jesus has been teaching us. We surrender ourselves to you, Father. And if there's anybody here that's maybe sitting thinking, yo, but you know, it was, uh, what I did was really, I haven't, you know, I've been speaking so badly to people and, and, and uh, it, even that's just difficult for you to accept that God forgives you. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would just set them free from that guilt right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that we will be mindful of these beautiful attitudes. Help us to be mindful, Father. It's so easy to go back into our normal ways. Help us to be mindful is my prayer tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your children. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. You would never ask us to do things that was going to be impossible because you, as Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So I thank you, Father that wherever we have a weakness, that you give us the strength to do this. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for this. Even those that are watching at home, wherever they may be, I thank you, Father, that they recognize the need to have you all the time as we keep growing in you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just turn to your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, I choose to have a beautiful attitude. Tell your other neighbor, listen, I'm choosing to have a beautiful attitude. What about behind you? Hey, you're looking at someone who's chosen to have a beautiful attitude. Praise the Lord of hosts.
praise the Lord of hosts. Well, again, every head bowed and every eye closed, there are folks sitting here tonight, I'm sure, that are saying, yo, I need to really start at the beginning here. I don't even know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with God. I wanna have this attitude, but I, but I don't even know God. And, and so this is my invitation to you. If you wanna make Jesus the Lord of your life tonight, I wanna pray with you. If you're sitting here tonight and you recognize that you've maybe drifted away from God and you need to come back to Him, then I wanna include you in this prayer. If you're sitting here tonight and, and you, you're still saying, you know what, Paul, if I were to die right now, I don't actually know where I'm gonna go. I don't have that kind of assurance then I invite you at the count of three to raise your hand and I'm gonna include you in this prayer. If there's anybody here, you wanna know Jesus, you wanna come back to God, you wanna be sure of your eternity, then I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three, raise your hand right now. Thank you so much. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Folks, don't leave here tonight not knowing, <laughs> not being sure of your eternity. If there's anybody else, you're welcome to raise your hand. You can do that right now. Even those at home and in the other venue, you can raise your hand. I'm gonna pray together with you. I'm gonna uh, uh, take you through a prayer. It's a very simple prayer. Jesus said that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that's what we're gonna do right now. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and I'm gonna ask every person that's in this venue to say this prayer together with me. If there's anyone else, you can raise your hand right now. Just, if there's anyone else, just raise your hand. You don't, the Bible doesn't say if you raise your hand, then you'll be saved, but it's a way for you to say publicly, Lord, I wanna give my life to you. If there's anyone else. All right, let's pray this prayer. And I'm gonna invite everybody to pray this prayer together with me right now, okay? And, and listen to the words that you're speaking. Let's say this, say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, whom you sent to die on the cross for me. He died in my place. And I recognize that I need a Savior. Jesus, I declare that you are the Son of God that you died for me and that God raised you from the dead on the third day. I believe you're alive today and I accept what you did for me. Come into my life. I surrender to you. And I thank you for forgiving me of all of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.